So today's movie begins in the back of something like this. We had something like this, my family, that I'm not sure about the exact detailing on the wood paneling. A 78 Chevy Caprice, I think it was, with some kind of rack overhead. Um, and actually, it was in the back seat of one of these that I found out about death for the first time. Nine years old, August 2nd, 1979. My mom picked me up from the bus stop after getting off the bus from the JCC, the Jewish Community Center day camp. And she turned around to face me after I had hopped in with a look I hadn't quite seen her face before, solemnly, sadly. She said, Thurman Munson died. Now, for those of you who are baseball fans, he was the captain of the New York Yankees, my favorite team. And he died in a plane crash. And so it was in the back seat of something like this that I shed my first but very far from my last tears over the fact that all of us are mortal. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, a friend of mine a few years ago, uh, he and his wife were having troubles uh, conceiving a child. And they said, I wonder if we can rent a 72 Pinto anywhere. (laughs) Because it seems that that always did the trick <laughs> to our parents' generation. If you were conceived in the back of a 72 Pinto, don't raise your hand, but please tell me. <laughs> it's actually a, a great song by uh, one of my favorite bands, uh, Gaslight Anthem. It's called Backseat, and one of the reasons I love Gaslight Anthem is because they're a total mashup between The Clash and Blue, Bruce Springsteen. And in this song that's really just about growing up in the backseat of someone else's car, it, it turns out that what they're yearning for is not just room for their knees, but room to breathe, room to come of age. Now, today's movie begins actually in the space beyond the backseat, in the way, way back, as we just saw in that Chevy Caprice. We see Duncan in the opening scene, a fairly miserable-looking 14-year-old facing backwards in the way, way back, in the back, back seat, while his mom sleeping in the front seat, and he's getting grilled, and not just grilled, but belittled and bullied by our mom's boyfriend who is driving the car. And they're on their way, all of them together, to spend the summer at the boyfriend's beach house. Now, this movie is sweet. It is totally derivative of a whole bunch of other movies I could list right now, but this is not a film studies course this morning. But there's something that stuck with me about this movie, about this 14-year-old coming-of-age story. I think I liked it so much because it is a younger teen coming-of-age story. You see, there's so much money right now in older teenager coming-of-age stories, older adolescents. And this is, as you heard before, a PG-13 movie, and those older adolescent coming-of-age stories, those are most often R-rated. And it's R-rated not just to get the teen market, they're actually R-rated to get adults to go and watch them as well. Because a lot of older R-rated teenager coming-of-age stories, they're actually about adult concerns. 
They're about the things that many adults worry about in terms of achievement. I mean, there's kind of three things that the older teen sex and drugs comedies most often focus on. Getting into college, getting a job, and getting laid. (laughs) This movie is sweeter and more innocent. And although it's shot in our time, there are many references to the early 1980s, including that car that we showed you before, including Ario Speedwagon for some reason, <laughs> including, if you remember, uh, Kiri Lazon, I mean, that's the old ancient kind of singing, but by Mr. Mister, I think it was. Well, they misread that one night while the adults have had too much to drink, and they do that just about every single night in this movie, uh, and they make it into carry a laser down the roads you must travel. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a kitschy, campy, kind of funny thing, and it's kind of summertime as time warp, but there's something deeper going on in all these 80 references in this movie. It's the fact that almost all the adults that we meet are in a time warp. They're trying to recapture something or perhaps never got past something. All the adults in this movie exist in a kind of arrested development. As one of the older knowing teens who Duncan, the 14-year-old, meets, she says dismissively, this is like spring bake for adults all summer long. It's sex and intoxicants, the search for pleasure. And these are people who've, quote-unquote, achieved a lot. That's how they can get the whole summer off to party. But there's very little happiness. There's very little fulfillment. One of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings is that it is a growing, honest, spiritual life that fills our God-shaped holes and deepest yearnings. And I thought of this next sentence while watching the movie about these adults. Efforts to fill these holes with materialism, check. Unhealthy relationships, check. And substance abuse, big check, lead to despair and lead to loneliness. Duncan, our 14-year-old little friend, he sees this clearly. And so this isn't a story about him losing his innocence with sex and drugs. He has one chaste kiss this entire movie. But instead he goes looking for other means of fulfillment for him to come of age. See, his coming-of-age story is not about the loss of innocence. It's not about him achieving anything grand. It is about his deeper acceptance of himself and an enlarging awareness of who he is in the world. Now, this comes about, as very often we might remember in our own coming-of-age, through people who showed us how to do it well or people who showed us how to age really badly. (laughs) On the one hand... There's the kind of father-in-waiting, father who wants to be, Trent, played by the actor Steve Carell. If you've ever watched The Office, he plays like this doofus. I mean, he is really an unlikable guy in this movie, which means he does an incredible job acting. And then on the other hand, there's this guy named Owen, who runs a not terribly promisingly titled rundown water park called Waterwiz. No doubt heavily chlorinated. (laughs) And we get to see, we get to see the difference between these two roads that Duncan might take as he grows up through these two games. 
See this one over here? Candyland. Shoots and ladders brought to you courtesy of the sugar industry. And they're playing Candyland one night. Again, they literally take it out of an old 80s chest. Let's play Candyland. And for that entire game, you can see that Trent, mom's boyfriend, is going to make this into blood sport. <laughs> no, you didn't land on purple. No, you can't go up to gumdrop lane. No, no, no. And Duncan pushes back until he recognizes how completely futile this is. That this older man, trying and failing to be a role model and bullying him, is not who he wants to be. And then we meet Owen in a pizza parlor playing Pac-Man. And at first he tells Duncan, yo, man, you're, you're in my light. I'm trying to work the joystick here. And Duncan, recognizing that Owen isn't playing this very well, he said, you know, there's a way that you can, you can beat the game and move on to the next screen. And Owen says, eh, I, I kind of just like to eat the fruit. And he says, now I'm walking away from this. You can have this game if you want to. And Duncan takes it over. And at that moment, he starts kind of spying on Owen. <laughs> he sees who this guy is and what he does, who doesn't really care about winning a game. Owen is kind of, um, I guess in terms of spiritual tradition, you'd call him a holy fool. He practices a version of crazy wisdom. You know, he, he, he gives non-answer answers. He's kind of like a walking Zen koan. Trent, mom's boyfriend, he wants to give Duncan answers. This is what you should do. This is what I want you to do. This is how to do it. Owen has none of that. He doesn't give Duncan an answer the entire movie. He gives him a job cleaning up wet toilets and puke at Water Whiz. <laughs> and Duncan couldn't be happier. <laughs> Have you ever had anyone give you a non-answer answer? <laughs> it's really liberating to get a non-answer answer. Because the issue with getting answers to something that we might have a question about is we can just add that answer, a how-to, on top of everything else we already know. But a non-answer answer does something differently. It gets us to perceive our lives, not in terms of content, but in terms of deepening our perspective. This is what our great teacher Thoreau said when he said, it's one thing to be able to carve or paint a particular statue or a particular painting. It's one thing to be able to do that, but it's entirely other thing to be able to shape the atmosphere through which we look, the means and the medium of our perspective. I got a great example of this a number of years ago, and, and, and I got to tell you, I, I really had to restrain myself not to show you right away, but today seems like the right day. It's summertime. If you're embarrassed by this, just imagine how embarrassed I'm going to be. I, I stay robed. Just, you know, calm down. It's like PG-13, folks. It was the first night of Outward Bound, and we descended down into Pisgah National Forest outside of Asheville, North Carolina. 
And the first night of Outward Bound is absolute confirmation. That reasonably well-adjusted, accomplished, achievement, goal-oriented 30-somethings, 40-somethings, and 50-somethings can just be as homesick as a 12-year-old on the first night of sleepaway camp. (laughs) And we were looking for answers. Would we remember our knots? Would we remember where we put everything on the 50-pound packs on our backs that we were carrying? And we made camp that first night. And I will not only speak for myself, but I will certainly speak for myself. What did I get myself into? (laughs) And the leaders of Outward Bound, the two leaders that took us on this trip, and they refer to it as experiential education, not just knowing something more, but getting into the experience, Well, they chose a particular kind of icebreaker. All of us are going to write our names in the air with our butts. (laughs) K. E. An easy one. Pretty sure it was reversed from where you saw it. We didn't learn anything new in that moment of writing our names in the air with our butts. But boy, did the atmosphere change. (laughs) That's a non-answer answer. That's holy foolishness. That's a little bit of crazy wisdom. To learn to see ourselves differently and less scared and open. And to know that we don't have to figure it all out right away. One, it's a futile quest. We can't. And two, if we just open a little bit more, we might let more of life in. So that's a coming-of-age story when I think I was 41. But in seeing this movie, I thought about a coming-of-age story of when I was 14. At sleepaway camp, summer of 1984, the summer that Purple Rain by Prince came out and Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen came out. And who I thought was the coolest girl in camp decided that she wanted to date me. She was one year older. She was more experienced and don't get your heads too far out. I mean, she knew how to French kiss and I didn't. And for the three weeks that she dated me, I felt fantastic. Because somehow she chose me. And I have no idea why to this day. And then with two weeks to go in camp, she broke up with me. And, well, I do have some idea why at this day. So those last two weeks of camp, I just, you know, all I saw was two feet in ground in front of me, just moping all around, feeling bad about myself, feeling angry at her, just feeling lousy and miserable. And till the final day at camp, she came up to me. I mean, the buses were pulling away and parents were picking their kids up. She came up to me and she gave me a huge, encompassing, whole body hug. 
and she started to cry. And it was like one of those hugs. You know, this could either last five minutes or it could last five hours. I just really wasn't sure exactly what was going on. Except, for a moment, my brain finally got it. That maybe she had broken up with me for reasons that had absolutely nothing to do with me. Maybe she was struggling in such a way that she needed to make a different choice. So I remember thinking at that moment, is this really isn't about me right now. And the hug feels really nice. <laughs> Three months later, I got a letter from her. And she detailed in it that she had just recently told someone she trusted in authority, a teacher, that she had been being sexually abused in her home. And that's why she had had a difficult time that previous summer. It wasn't about me. I was not the center of the universe. And she and I haven't talked in three decades. But she regularly shows up in my prayers that the initial safety and lifeline that she reached out for has been maintained in all that time. That was the beginning of a dawning of an awareness in my 14th year that not everyone's family loved them. That I was not the center of the universe. That not everything happened to make me feel good or bad about myself. And that some people in this life suffered terrible things. Terrible, unjust, awful things. Sometimes we come of age, which is to say our awareness expands, because of joyful things and happy things. And sometimes we come of age or start to come of age because we recognize there is immense suffering in this world. But one way or the other, true coming of age, true awareness, frees ourselves to grow up. And by grow up, I mean this, to enlarge our awareness and to know the depths of our connections with everyone else. To see our story as part of their story and their story in our story. And if we continue growing, it took me more years beyond age 14 to really learn this part of the lesson. Once we have the expanded awareness to act in healthy and whole and healing ways so that we may not be part of the suffering of our world. As this movie moves on and Duncan gets the realization that, in fact, mom's boyfriend isn't just a bully to him. He's a liar and a cheat. And he confronts his mom about it. And she says things that I think something that's so sad and speaks for too many adults. She says, sighingly, 
We do things to protect ourselves because we're afraid. We do things to protect ourselves because we're afraid. Therein lies the recipe for arrested development at any age. Growing up is hard. Waking up is hard. But we all know what's more difficult. As the classical teachers might tell us, attachment or aversion. Trying to control everything around us or denying the reality that's right in front of us. Pushing back from life or trying to tamp life down. Attachment or aversion, these are not just harder than growing up and enlarging our awareness. These are totally futile pursuits and will end up wounding our souls and the souls of people around us. And so the movie ends. I'm not going to tell you everything that happens. But it ends where it begins. In the back, back. In the way, way back. And in an act of wonderful solidarity that maybe betokens what will happen when the movie's over and these people go on about their lives. But we don't know because the movie's ending. Duncan's mom climbs over two sets of seats and sits in the way, way back next to her son. And there they sit, knowing that at least they know each other and love each other. So, in these kind of dog days of summer, in which maybe some of you are going to some of your way, way back places and picking up games like Candyland, which we all know is not blood sport, (laughs) and taking a little bit of time out for yourselves, Here's what I would encourage all of us, and I include myself in this. Really, I include myself in this. Take time away from the driver's seat. As adults, or as people growing up who wanted to be adults, you know, it's about getting to the driver's seat. (laughs) Getting to the places of power and control. And yet sometimes we can get there into the driver's seat... And recognize the view from up there is not much fun. So I would encourage you, if you have the opportunity, get in the way, way back. Get into the place and with the people that invite you to do things like write your name with your butt in the air. Take a little bit of crazy wisdom. Have a little bit of holy foolishness. And maybe find that still, whatever your age, there's room for you to grow up. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Timeless, omnipresent spirit. We know we are creatures of time. Developing and growing through ages and seasons. Hopefully maturing. Hopefully awaking, awakening. May this be our prayer. 
that as we see opportunities and means of our growing deeper come to be in this life, and instead of hopping right to the next thing, or the next thing, or the next thing, we will take the opportunity to do this enlarging, awakening, maturing thing. That's right here, right now, in the midst of our lives. May we have eyes to see this and ears to hear this and hearts to love this. And by this, I prayerfully mean our lives. Amen.